0: Amen. God's grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are working our way through the Ten Commandments. Um, we're reminding ourselves that they're not just uh, a bunch of rules that we're going to be punished for if we break, but they're given to us by a God of love who knows what's best for us, and what He's doing is showing us the boundaries that will lead us to the life that he wants us for, a life full of love and truth. And there are important parts of our relationship, that vertical relationship with God. We saw that in the first table of the law, the commandments that had to do with God. And now we're, we're kind of deep into the commandments that guide our relationship with our neighbor. And today's commandment actually even mentions, mentions our neighbor. So let's go ahead and read the eighth commandment. It's on the screen. Let's read this out loud together you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. In other words, as Rachel told the children this morning, do not lie. And I'm not going to even ask you if you've ever told a lie because I know we all have lied. Uh, this is, this is a, something we battle from the earliest age. Um, actually, here's a cute little girl struggling with the truth. Let's watch. Did you do anything in the bathroom? Uh-uh. Nothing? Uh-uh. I was putting some lipstick on, and then I was giving my phone. So you put what? You put on lipstick on. Oh, D- whose was that? It was. It was my lipstick. Oh, it was. Yeah. Did you ask anybody if you could put it on? I asked myself. <laughs> so whose lipstick is that? A um, mine. You bought it. Yeah. Where'd you buy that? My lipstick. Yeah. I buy it from Home Depot. (laughs) Parents. Watch out, parents. (laughs) Well, so from our very early days we struggle with this issue of truth-telling. What I'd like to do is kind of consider some of the reasons why we lie, and I think they fall into three major categories. Uh, The first is we want to avoid trouble. Uh, this is probably the most common reason, most frequent we- reason, especially among children, that we would not tell the truth, is in order to try to get out of trouble. Or at least we think so. We'll see in a minute. It actually can get us into more trouble. Uh, another reason is we want to gain something. We want people to either think differently about us, or we somehow want to profit, either in a material or some other way. Um, You know, and it happens. I don't know. I'm probably dating myself here. Does anybody remember Milli Vanilli and the lip sync cover-up? All right. That's a a dated reference. Lance Armstrong and then the steroids and all of that. Uh, It can appear tempting and advantageous to lie. The truth comes out. It gets us into trouble. And it's not just, you know, musicians and athletes, but uh, get around a group of pastors when the topic of Sunday attendance comes up and let's just say there's some imagination used in the statistics. All right? we, wanna, we lie because we, we want to appear in a more positive light. Uh, and then the last category is a little bit more benign, uh, still uh, difficult ethically, and that's we lie because we don't want to hurt someone else's feelings. We want to protect someone else. A simple example, somebody says, how do you like my shoes? And you say, oh, they're wonderful. You're thinking to yourself, I'd never buy those. Uh, Or, you know, you see a friend at the high school reunion and you say, you haven't aged a day. (laughs) Um, It's not motivated by any kind of malice, uh, not deceit. It's motivated more by the desire to encourage and not offend, but it's still not true. Uh, So to dig deeper into this issue of lies and false witness, what I'd like to do is go back to our Old Testament reading and look at a well-known biblical character who lied. And can I just say, I love that Scripture doesn't try to sugarcoat the bad behavior of the heroes of the Bible. It's captured on the pages there for us. It not only makes it more relatable to us, but really more applicable to us. Uh, so we're looking this morning at Abraham, you know, the, the father Abraham, uh, the same Abraham that the book of Romans holds up as the model of faith. But What we saw in this text is... Well, Abraham is no better than us when it comes to truth-telling. Just for review, now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She's my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. Um, So what's happening is he's in Philistine territory, and the... You know the Jews consider the Philistines arch enemies. They're wicked and um, pagan, and so Abraham is in a dangerous spot. And he's he's lying. Uh, he's telling anyone who asks that his wife is his sister. And it's actually not the only time. If you go back um, earlier than this, earlier in the book of Genesis, we read in chapter 12 um, that there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. And as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. So say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. So he says to her, lie and tell them you're my sister. Why? Because he's scared to death. He's actually scared of death. Uh, he's afraid that they will kill him to get to her. And what Abraham's imagining isn't really out of the realm of possibility, especially not in that Philistine uh, or Egyptian culture. So Abraham is scared enough to lie. And I think fear probably is the bigger motivator of lies than anything else. Some kind of fear. We're afraid of the consequences that would follow if the truth comes out. And this happens more than we care to admit but if we're not going to be driven by fear as christians and we want to be people of integrity who tell the truth then we've got to overcome the fear because you know what lies do even if their effects aren't immediately seen they take root inside of us and eventually they become toxic and if you're here this morning and you have some kind of a lie or deceit in your life and you're struggling with it, it's eating at you, and you know what I'm talking about. You understand why God says it's important, it's commanded not to lie. It's for you. So, we've talked about why we lie. What do we do? How do we face the truth? Okay, if that, that lie has happened. What do we do to fix it properly, let's say? Uh, the first is, and I, we've, we've talked about this in a few commandments now. Remember, these commandments are about community. And so often the solution or the way to avoid the sin is through community. So you go to a trusted friend, someone that you know you can tell the truth, but they'll stand by you even in your darkest hour. It does a couple of things. First thing is that, well, 1A is that if it's before the lie occurs, they may help you realize, don't tell that lie. You've got to come clean. If it's after the lie has happened, that friend may help you think of the best way and the best time to bring that truth to life, to light. But the other thing that comes out of this is that, uh, that have you noticed that one lie tends to lead to another lie and leads to another lie? That's because when we lie, the devil tricks us into believing that if we tell the truth, then our lives will fall apart, and it causes us to tell another lie and it keeps us trapped and hopeless, which is what the enemy wants for us. But if we tell that trusted friend, and they don't go running, then it shatters right in front of our eyes the devil's deception, and it gives us hope that we can let go of the lies that we're living with. So uh, I pray that you have someone in your life that is close enough that you can be honest with them, even when you've been dishonest. Second is approach that lie with humility. Uh, sometimes, if the lie is brought to light, maybe even against our will or despite our will to cover it up, uh, we can act very cavalier about it and say, Well, I told that lie, so what? You know, it's no big deal. It really ultimately only makes matters worse. How much better is it then to say, You know, I wasn't truthful with you? I admit that. It's been bothering me ever since, but I want to make this right between us. It opens the door for healing and reconciliation. All right, so how do you face the truth? With that trusted friend, with humility, and with hope. Again, the crazy thing is that the devil convinces us when we're in that uh, circle of lies or that cycle of lies, everything will be fine. Just keep the lie going, which in itself is an absolute lie. Because while we're in that spiral of deception, uh, our well-being is actually eroding our relationships are eroding. Uh, whatever the lie touches is eroding because it's built on a lie. It's only when we enter into the truth that we can begin to reconcile, make things right, and restore health and healing and let the hurt subside and the healing begin. So don't buy into the lie that if you just keep it hidden, it'll all be okay. It may take a while, but it's really the only hope uh, of these things that will, uh, knowing um, that the truth is better than the lie that will allow you to break the cycle of lies and begin to rebuild on the truth. Because remember, the devil wants you to remain hopeless and fearful and then caught in your lies, thinking that you'll never break out, you can never get free of it, which in itself is another lie. All right, so, so far we've talked about why we lie, how we break free from the lies, but what are these lies that we're talking about? What is false witness? Let's go back again to that Old Testament reading. Look at Abraham. Remember, he's, he's lied to Abimelech the king about who Sarah is, and Abimelech has acted on that lie. He's taken Sarah for himself. Uh, but God can't let this lie stand, so he actually intervenes. We read that God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all yours will die. This gets Abimelech's attention. He's, He's horrified, so he goes to Abraham, and Abimelech called Abraham in and said, what have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such a great guilt upon me and my kingdom? you have done things to me that should not be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? What did I ever do to you that now God is going to bring this judgment on my family? Why didn't you just tell the truth? So Abraham is happy to tell him. Abraham replied, well, I said to myself, I threw the well in there, "Uh, I said to myself, there surely is no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though so not of my mother, and she became my wife. So there's a couple of interesting things I'd, I'd like to break down here. One is that Abraham is in this land of the ungodly Philistines, and he says that they're afraid that he's afraid that they're going to act in an ungodly way. Surely there's no fear of God in this place. So what does he do in order to protect against their ungodliness? He does an ungodly thing, and he tells a lie. He li- he's acting in an ungodly way. Actually, the Philistines are the only ones acting in a godly way in this text. It's very interesting um, and ironic. So it begs the question, just how often do we compromise our witness to who God is in our life, to our Lord Jesus Christ, by the choices that we make, by the way that we live, the things that we say, and the way we cover up? May it never be said that non-Christians are living more honorable lives than us. All right, and then what's also surprising here is the way Abraham manipulates the truth. Well, she really is my sister, daughter of my father, not of my mother. So Abraham is saying, you know, there's a way in which we can understand this to be true. He's justifying his lie. Have you ever heard someone try to rationalize their lie? It's pretty lame, right? My yippee, I bought it at Home Depot. Uh, she's so cute. She wasn't lying. Um, but sometimes truth and lies are, are on kind of a continu- continuum. I'll, get, I'll give you that. And it can be tricky to sort out what's a truth and what's a lie. So for example, let's start at the innocent end of the lie spectrum. You're, you're throwing some sort of a surprise party for your spouse or, you know, a surprise... Uh, gift for someone. Have you ever found yourself in that situation where you have to deceive or else you're gonna ruin the surprise, right? So is that really a lie? Um, It's definitely on the low end of the spectrum. I will say that much. Uh, And we'll get to more of how you can actually, I guess, wrestle with that in your mind, but you should be wrestling with it. Another one I'll give you is April Fool's Day which I've never really been a fan of April Fool's Day. It is, it's a community-accepted opportunity to lie that day. Everybody lies on April Fool's Day. I don't know that I feel any better about it. My kids are always getting me because I'm so gullible. I don't, I'm not very good at poker, and I fall for everything. And so April Fool's Day is fun for everybody else in my house. Uh, but one day, uh, early in my career, before I became a pastor, uh, I decided to try my hand at lying. And actually, I, I scared myself of how good I was at it I worked for this company, I was back in software uh, programming computers back then, and um, worked for a company that what we did is we took uh, medical claims information from insurance companies, big insurance companies, like Blue Cross Blue Shield of Virginia, and, you know, that sort of a thing. We would take their data, this was back before, what I was actually working on was making it so that they could take the software in-house and process their own claims, but at that time we actually would get their data on tapes, just to give you an idea how old I am. (laughs) reels. Anyway, and we would load it up, and then we would process just, you know, thousands if not millions of claims for them, and we would save them money. We would find mistakes in their, uh, the way things were built, and, you know, we would save them millions of dollars. So they were happy to pay us hundreds of thousands of dollars to process their claims just for one insurance company, just to give you an idea how significant this was. So one day, it was April Fool's Day, I go into my boss's office, and um, we talked about some things, and I said, by the way, I do not know how it happened, but I lost all of Blue Cross Blue Shield of Virginia's data. <laughs> and the look on their face, but what was, really, what was really more telling is what it did to me. I could only hold the lie for about four milliseconds, and I'm like, oh, no, no, that's a joke. We're laughing, right? And after they kept, caught their breath, you know, I realized I really do not like April Fool's Day. Um, but these can, this can be an ethical dilemma for us. How do you differentiate between lying so that your spouse can enjoy a surprise party or, or a, li- a lie where I'm deceiving you for my own gain? So let's talk about sorting out these gray areas, because sometimes it's not always black and white. I think the first question you can ask yourself, plain and simple, is what's my intention? Do I want this person to ever know the truth? And I, w- I might add in the very near future, I think too many lies are perpetuated because we think to ourselves, well, I'll, get, I'll tell them the truth later at a better time, right? Like I'll, I'll tell them eventually, like right now I'm telling them that I'm working late, but I'm really taking money and going to the casino. Uh, but when I win big, then I'll tell them that I really wasn't at work, right? You, you can see right away how bad this was. Uh, the, the, you're still lying to protect yourself. Uh, so you can ask yourself that question, what's my intention? Is this lie for their benefit or is it a lie just to cover up the truth or conceal the truth for your own gain or to avoid consequences? That would be the wrong intention. Um, A a subcategory of this, too, is sometimes people want you to lie for them. If you've ever been in this situation, maybe you've learned the painful way, but I'll say, don't do it. Do not lie for someone else. We always told our children, don't ever come to us and expect us to lie for you. It's not going to happen. Uh, sometimes the most loving thing is to make that person recognize their own deceptive intention. I'll give you an example um, in my ministry. True story. Uh, an older couple came to me and they, they said, can we, can we just do a church wedding? Like we don't, they didn't have a marriage certificate or anything. They said a few people in our family are going to know we're, we're getting married, but it'd be really bad for our taxes if we got legally married. So can you just do a church wedding? I said, okay, let me see if I understand this. You want to start your relationship on a lie and a deception. You want to hide this from everybody else, and you want me to be a party in that? No, I'm not going to do that. So, again, ask yourself, what's the intention? The second is, am I breaking a confidence? Uh, let's say someone shares a confidence with you. And I don't know if you've ever been in a small group Bible study at church Um, Or maybe it's in a service team that you work with. You have a relationship with people. And sometimes, you know, because they're close to you, they let you in to things that are happening in their life. But just because they've told you, and just because it may be true, does not mean that it's something that you can tell other people. Uh, To do so is breaking that circle of trust. Martin Luther, in his explanation to the Eighth Commandment, oops, sorry, I forgot to put it on the screen, uh, he says it this way, when he gives the explanation. Let's, let's read this out loud together. I'll get to the what does this mean. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. What does this mean? Let's read. We should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest of way. All right? We, we should not be gossiping. And the thing is, um, what do we do in those situations? Because there's something in human nature that just wants to know. And they might even say something to you like, what do you know about this? Let me give you a, a wonderful line that you can use in response to that. Simply say, that's not mine to share. You're not lying. You don't have to make up something else to tell them. Just say, that's not mine to share. Send them back to the source. You don't want to betray your neighbor's confidence. All right. And then the last gray area here, you can ask yourself how will I say, how will what I say be used? And if you look back at the Old Testament with Abraham, his lie was actually used to bring judgment upon Abimelech. He was deceived into doing something wrong. Often we don't calculate the effect that our lies are going to have on others or how they're going to affect us. Let me give you a. For my own life. If you were here last week, you remember I told you a story about the brother who tricked me into uh, taking stuff from the clearance rack? Um, same brother, another point in time in my life. Uh, he got me to do um, something that was, we, d- we did something that was wrong, I can't remember, and we, we lied to cover it up. Okay? Then, every time after that, if he wanted me to do something for him, a favor, oh, get me a drink of water. Uh, change the channels. We didn't have remotes back then, so the little brother changed the channel. You know, do my chore or whatever. If How he would get me to do it is he would simply say, I'll tell mom and dad what you did. And It's amazing how much the fear of the truth coming out was able to be used against me. Now, I'll just jump ahead and say, I did eventually tell the truth and he got in trouble, not me. But uh, the point is, how will, how will what I say be used against me? It was a very good learning lesson because I saw my own lie used against me over and over again. And in this case, Abimelech was being hurt by Abraham's lie. So these situations are kind of tough. They require discernment. The slope can be slippery, um, but also they're powerful tools in the hand of the enemy who only wants to steal and kill and destroy and after all he's the father of lies so he knows exactly how to use them so that's why we're talking about these things in church that's why we go through them in our catechism class with our youth because Jesus wants the opposite for us and if we don't understand and discern the enemy's tactics we will fall into his tricks but Jesus offers us so much something so much better than lies he says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free because Jesus wants us free He wants us free so much that he was willing to be bound and killed so we could be set free from lies. He says, if the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. There is actually freedom in the truth. If you get anything from today's message, uh, sadly I'm spending maybe more time talking about the lies than the truth, but if you get anything from today's message, it's realizing that there's freedom in the truth Freedom within the boundaries of God's commandments because God knows what will ultimately enslave us and so he, he, he commands us and he warns us against it because he knows what will ultimately make us free. He knows what will enslave us and he says, don't do this and he knows what will set us free and he says, do this and that's the truth. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life." God wants us to live in the truth and the light. It's so much better for us. So I want to, I probably should stop right there, but I do have one more thing I want to say about our Abimelech reading. I want to conclude this text by pointing out something deeper. Uh, When it comes to light that that lie has been exposed, right, it's kind of shocking, um, Abraham's lie. Abimelech's response is shocking. But something else that's shocking in this text is what God says to Abimelech about Abraham. Remember what he says? He says, well, he is a prophet. He will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you make sure that you and your, yours will die. So how could, you know, what God could have said about Abraham, and it would be true, is, well, he's a liar, and he's fearful, and he's weak. God doesn't say that about Abraham. What he says is, he's a prophet. He'll pray for you. So even in that moment of Abraham's failure, where God had to step in and rescue the whole circumstance, God still says Abraham is a prophet, someone who speaks the truth speaks about God's love His salvation. How is it? Is it possible that God wanted Abraham to learn from this lie experience, so he let it go? But he did something bigger. He restored Abraham by telling him who he really was. Did you ever get caught in a lie when you were younger and your parents disciplined you? Uh, There's a time when our kids were little. Uh, one of our sons, actually, we realized, was taking money from my wife's purse was there. Why not take it, right? You have to learn these things growing up. And uh, what was so interesting was to watch his behavior. He was being so generous. He was buying things for people. He was, you know, paying his brothers and sisters to do his chores, tipping them if they did a good job. Finally, we realized, where is he getting all this money from? And Rochelle puts, you know, two and two together, and she realizes there's a lot of money missing from my purse. So we decide we're going to go to the kids and give him an opportunity to fess up. And so we said, money is missing from mom's purses. Is there anything anybody wants to tell us? And they were all silent. We were kind of shocked at this. So we had to do some sleuthing, and we used some parental tricks, and we figured out who it was, and we were, we were able then to, to pull that son aside and show him something that he probably still to this day wonders, how did they, how did they find that out? <laughs> and uh, he, he fessed up, and we were able to teach him in that moment how wrong that was. And here's the thing, we did that because we love him. We did that because we know who he really is. We did that because we know who God made him to be. He's not a thief, he's not a liar, he needed to learn and we did not want that, le- that lie to define him. We wanted to remind him that he was better than that. And it's so wonderful, friends, I think, isn't it? That God, who calls himself our father, that even when we stumble like Abraham, he doesn't reject us. He doesn't turn his back on us. Remember, that's the lie of the enemy to say God will never want you back if that comes to, the, to light. He doesn't. He doesn't pull his love away from us. He draws into us. He loves us more and he, he lets us never forget who we are as his children. Friends, God, God never forgets who he created you to be and the plans he has for you, the plans to prosper you. Right? And even in your worst failures, he reminds you that you are his beloved son and daughter, son or daughter, one who he allowed his own son to die for, to take his lies upon himself so that your failures no longer define you, but God's truth does. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for a love that's not based on our good behavior or our truthful words, but a love that goes far beyond that. Lord, bless us and strengthen us to live in the hope and the truth that is ours through Christ. And as that truth and hope lives in us, Lord, may it set us free to live by your Spirit and become more and more like Jesus. It's in his holy name that we pray.